This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart, and I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Patrick Brennan. Pat makes abstract mixed media paintings that focus on exchanges between shape and form, compositional vibration, and sincerity. The work features textured blooms of erratic angles and decorative embellishment, and highlight his formal curiosity and reflexive approach to making a picture. There is a real sense of searching and honesty in Pat's work, and the paintings start to operate like a labyrinth. The work plays with visual entrances and secret spaces and elusive exits. We recorded the following conversation at his studio, which is in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn. It is early in the morning. Totally. Relatively. It is. Um, but when we were uh, communicating about me coming over, I asked you, what, what non-art thing do you want to talk about? And you threw a few things out there, and The Grateful Dead was one of them. Right. And I started thinking about my experience with The Grateful Dead. And it goes back to not the music um, as an entrance into their stuff, but the imagery. Same. And the kid, the older kid down the street, had a you know a tie dye with a steal your face thing on it, and just that skull. Maybe it's just like you know youthfulness, interest in skulls and stuff. But that was my entry, and then it sort of opened up from there. It's similar I, for you. Yeah, images. I mean, I, I to right now I think the steal your face is probably the coolest design ever. Yeah, I really do. Like even from then to now, uh-huh. from years of like loving all that stuff to like secretly loving it but not telling anyone. The, yeah. the whole Grateful Dead kind of thing yeah but the steal your face the original gene back patch i saw uh-huh. when i was in you know junior high yeah. and a high school kid i was like that is yeah that's kind of what and it's those co- that color combination um red white and blue and black it's such a strong we see it all over the place in flags yeah, and stuff but totally. i think i've lifted probably because of that logo if we or icon whatever we want to call it um, so I, think I, I owe something to, to that sure. steal your face image. Do you know the history of the steal your face? Not image? really. I mean, there's like, I, I, I know there's myths and stuff about it, but uh-huh. I, no, tell me. I, I just looked this up cause I was thinking about okay, this on the yeah, way over. Yeah. Um, it was designed by two guys, Owsley Stanley and Bob Thomas in 1969. Bob Thomas, yeah, I know, um, that, and it was initially inspired by a traffic sign, which was a round shape with a diagonal line through it. I guess that was initially, so they did like a round shape with a lightning bolt through it. But then a couple of days later, they added the skull to overtly connect to the existing themes of the Grateful Dead through the use of totally. the skeleton. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a real simple idea, and it was inspired by a street sign. And it got me thinking about, you know, a, a simple idea that's not steeped in symbolism or meaning. It's just like, that's an interesting shape. But then when viewers get a hold of it, especially if it's, flexible and elastic they add their own stuff to it and now there's all this mythology around that image well that's what i was going to say there's uh there's like immediate mythology around that image yes Mm -hmm. now there is because it's been built in and what we know yeah but it's just like what i was saying from that first time i saw it on the back of a jean jacket to me i had to know what you know what what is that like why is it that's a band's logo what's this band about you know it took me years to get into the music the the music didn't come until like college freshman right. and sophomore year of college i was like oh, okay did you have you seen them live 
Yeah, a lot of times. I've never seen them live. Maybe seven or eight times. Like I'm not a, a ton, I'm a but. I'm a casual fan. Uh-huh. And I guess I'm late to the party in terms of the notion that they are all about the live performance. So cuz I, you know, I got the tapes when I was a kid yeah. and listened uh, uh listened to them had no idea that that was sort of secondary to the live performance totally. and the sort of journey full body journey this uh sort of take you through now it's gone reverse for me yeah so i started going early on like going to the shows or sort of listening uh-huh. to all the live tapes and like trading bootleg tapes with friends and yeah, doing bootlegs, all that it's all that right exactly yeah. and that's how it started and to me i wouldn't even think about their studio music it, it kind of back then it wasn't even that cool to think about it they were about a live mm-hmm. band and now that i'm older I'm strictly listening to those studio albums, which are amazing mm-hmm. albums, and they're produced incredibly, and they're, they sound beautiful. So for me, it's awesome that there's these two sides of it. Yeah. Live, exactly, yeah, has yeah. its own feel and does that whole thing. And But yeah. Where do you fall on the line of their new incarnation and as the Dead & Company? And what's the guy's name? It's John Mayer. He kind of he took over kind of Garcia's yeah. place. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of I'm far away from it enough now where I feel like safe to not have a huge opinion on it. Yeah, I'm psyched that they're doing their thing and that 50, 50th anniversary thing in Chicago seemed really awesome. Huh. And whatever, he's pretty good. He I, sort of sounds he, like yeah, he, no, he like he's, toes the line in a way. He's he also has his own kind of thing going on, yeah. and if I think. We didn't like think about him the way we do. He would just be some really bluesy guitar guy that they right. got to like replace Jerry for right, right, right. For now, so he had some sort of outside narrative that yeah. people can talk about. Yeah, uh, it's hard. Yeah, that's the story I stick with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so something I was thinking about, and this is I'm going to share a, sh- a little story from last night. So th- we had a major rainstorm last night. Yes. And my wife was looking out our window. We live on the, on the third floor of our building. Across the street was a transformer. Uh, electrical transformer on a telephone pole and it was sparking and we brought the kids look at the sparks like and then i was like wait a minute is this this seems not not good like a transformer should not be sparking in a rainstorm and i started to think we we started to have an open discussion about do we call this in no let's wait let's see if it if if it progresses It, it might mellow out so like there is this holding pattern of waiting and looking and observing before we made a choice uh-huh. to elevate to the next level to like okay this is dangerous let's call and you know have fire trucks or whatever come but it was like this weird holding pattern to see and i thought about that in the relation to what you and i do in the studio as painters like that 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 little bit of waiting time to make a choice on the thing that you're working on and um, how long that choice sometimes takes. And I guess I'm, I'm trying to connect this to the way in, uh, one of the ways in which I interpret your work is this um, deliberateness in the way you make these paintings um, and, the, and the formal choices you make versus intuitive choices. Um, and I'm wondering if, if how long you sort of take to make these decisions and choices with some of the paintings. Are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah. The starting gates here? Totally. Yeah. Um, I think it changes a lot. It definitely, uh-huh. I work pretty fast. I would say I'm, I'm, I'm quicker than I am sl- slow in the, the way of like lingering and kind of looking and yeah. making, I make the decisions kind of fast and if mm-hmm. it's the wrong decision, I just quickly change it. Right. So, 
by making. I, mean, I see that in the work. Yeah, and, and I, I need that's that. Why I'm it up. For me, I need yeah. it. Like I need to uh, have things happen that might not be fully in my control, mm -hmm. good and bad. Right. Because then the good ones, you're like, wow, there's this, and I can work off of that. Uh -huh. um, I don't want to be the full-on ringleader of how my painting's made. I want it to paint itself right. real, too, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting idea, This, uh, like, who has control? Is the painting dictating things, or are you the maker dictating things? Um, I think at its best, it's both, exactly. Yeah. Like, 50-50, you're sort of in this, uh, when yeah. it's really fun and when it's exciting to, like, make these these paintings, it's, it's, it's right there, right. right in the middle. Right. Yeah, that pace of working is something I, I wrestle with. There's moments where I like taking the time to make that decision, but within that little window, um, it allows doubt to creep in, and then you start second-guessing yourself, and then a whole plethora of problems start to pop up. Um, so sometimes I'm mindful enough not to do that because it leads to problems. Yeah. Like, you gotta, you gotta just go. Mm -hmm. and, and if it doesn't work 30 minutes from when you make that choice, you just go back to it. But it takes, it's not that easy. It isn't. No. Um, but that's the thing about, I think, painting in general, art making in general probably, but painting is this thing that everyone's always asked the question, how do you know when it's done? Or yeah. how do you know what's it going to look like? Like all these kind of things are not, I think the harder you work to not know those things, the better the painting will come out, just kind of what we're saying. So it's, it's sort of really well pushing control. Yeah. Which is hard to do if you're if you're into aesthetics and you want something to look good. Yeah, which is which is a big part of it. And look look good or look a certain way, which then will evoke a feeling. Yeah, and be about a, something. a certain feeling. All those things yeah. combined. That's super hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, some of the things I think about when I'm look when I when I consider your work are yeah control, intuition versus intention, um, um hastiness in in this 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 way of making choices compositionally or even color choices um i think about you know there's a clash that happens in your pictures and i and i i'm asking myself if that's deliberate like that's a question that comes out is this is patrick deliberately clashing those two shapes or those two colors or this all over composition that like doesn't let the viewer in as easily as other pictures do um, um, and this like responsive nature in your work, um, responding to the mark, um, and this reflex of, of working in the sort of one, one move mm -hmm. dictates the next and so on. Um, sometimes the, 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 I think about like angst with your paintings, comp like the composite, I guess that's going back to like. The entry point. Sometimes you're yeah. not letting the viewer in right away. That that's like a form of angst for me. Um, are those fair assessments? Would you would you disagree with any of those? No, no disagree. But yeah. I or I, elaborate on any of them. Yeah, I think that um, in the beginning, I think in the years I was kind of learning how to make a painting, and I still am. But like learning mm -hmm. how to make a painting, I kind of. Was you're always trying to look for that th one thing that's kind of different. You know, for me, I want to show something new, something different. That's why I put those colors next to each other or 
make uh, different makeup. for yourself in here and the viewer okay might be a new thing you know for me mm-hmm. the, that sense of wonder and that kind of idea of the new is what's really important in the beginning because for me that's what puts me in front of a work and i'm like oh I've, I've i've never seen anything like this right so good or bad i'm with it i'm trying right. to like kind of suss it out so with my paintings you know that's often been talked about or I, i talk about often is people really change a lot of what they think about them as they're with them for a while yeah it's sort of like what you're saying and and so it's to me that entry point that that might seem a little difficult or or kind of what you're saying i think is it's the it's the must unfortunately you know like it's kind of unfortunate because it's the part of it that's not easy I think there's a bunch of stuff in looking at the work that's pleasurable and exciting and uh-huh. fun and tripped out and all that stuff that I want to be happening. But the hard work kind of comes at the very beginning rather than when you walk away and you try to figure out what something's about. Uh-huh. That's that have you know a lot of people are like, "Well, what is that about?" I I, I kind of don't want that to happen right. that much with my work. I want it to be about what that experience you had with it when you were in front of it or uh-huh. if it hangs in your house and you live with it changes. Yeah. Yeah, the question of, uh, like, what is this about is so slippery because you're asked to define things in an absolute way that maybe isn't necessarily appropriate to this way of making a picture. Totally. Um, well, I don't like being, it's like, you're cor- it's like a cornering, que- a trap of a question. You're, you're cornering me to, to give you a very straightforward definition and package it in such a way that makes you comfortable. Especially for a thing that you just like stuck yeah. up on the wall and it's like all loud yeah. and like crazy. And it's, yeah. what do you mean? What's it about? Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Like it's about, it's, I, you know what I mean? That's sort of, yeah. that's sort of built in hopefully in uh-huh. good art. It's built right in. Yeah. That, that question kind of goes away when something's really good. Yeah. You know, you don't go through a big Mike Kelly installation, like that crazy right. retrospective at PS one and ask someone what it was about afterwards. You just like need to sit down. Yeah. I mean, it's also just a common trope with non-representational art, right? There's not necessarily um, an easy avenue. There's not a straightforward narrative to these things, and you know, the the not viewing public, the majority of a, of the viewing public finds that scary. I sure, think. totally. Um, another thing I think about with your paintings, or, or this this thing that keep, I keep returning to, is is like a like a, a sonic effect. There, like two tones happening at the same time for me and i don't know if you've ever heard this but there's a um um it's just the um um lyric or the uh, the vocal recording of david lee roth that's on the internet you can listen to yeah um and it's the um jump maybe i think it's running with the devil it is running with the devil you're and right. he and he, you know he's semi-famous for being able to strike two notes at the same time and it's such a bizarre noise that noise for me is a is i sort of attach to your paintings um as these like two like this trick of of your of, of doing two things at the same time to to deliver a more uh, like a, 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 co- a cohesive end product is that yeah totally take that i will totally take it and i'll talk a little bit about it it's it's interesting it's sort of we started off talking about the grateful dead and sort of the roots of like the music i was interested in when i'm younger and then like mentioning david lee roth and to to me even beyond yes i that recording is really cool and it's a great way to sort of put it Mm -hmm. but i also think of these paintings uh, on the same ideas like what anthem rock was like that kind of, like these could totally be about david lee roth and i would be so into that you know or whatever the hell he was thinking about yeah i wonder if i'm just thinking about some like 
just a different version of that. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I, I want that excitement and like, so thinking, and then it's interesting. I also want to pare all that down and that's what that recording is. Well, whoever did that and put it on the internet so that yeah. we could hear it, it's like, it's so stripped down and, and strange. And like some people would say it's really awful. And some people would be like, that guy's, this is In amazing. It's almost it's more just like the painting actual yeah. song. That's awesome. and, and it's like isolating this thing that's buried around the instrumentation of the whole song. If you take it out, it's its own thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So cool. Have you ever read his memoir, no. Crazy from the Heat? No. You check it out. But it's I actually like really good. I, when you leave, I will immediately search for it on audio. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that fun. sounds amazing. He's a thoughtful <laughs> dude. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it after. Um, what about how you make these? Can you walk me through f- sort of from start to finish mm-hmm. um, how you put these together, what materials you're using, um, the surface? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where do they start? Um, well, these these paintings and uh, the last show, the Free Fallen show at Halsey McCabe uh, in August, are, are a, a kind of a new direction. So what immediately I would say, and you probably notice, is there's less stuff in these paintings. You less, know, for less, years, less collage? Stuff. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Popsicle sticks, other paintings, collaging, uh, parachute material, silk, all that silk, stuff yeah. I was doing for yeah. a long time. I'm still kind of talking about it and it's in there here and there but i'm also using a lot more paint i wanted to make these um actually paintings okay so i was excited you don't think the other work were actual paintings i do but in that definition of the time and now for me i wanted to make you know before we started this talked a little bit about pictures and i kind of wanted to sort of force myself into making paintings that kind of had a horizon line picturesque ideas Uh talking about the landscape a little talking about decoration a little and even a Mm -hmm. lot um and 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 things like that so so there's a lot more paint in them so i've been drawing a lot more to sort of get to these than i was with the more overall collaged things which were all done on the floor built up over time and then once they're they were satisfyingly full and heavy they were kind of done. Right. And when These say, are a little more challenging. When you say drawing, you mean drawing on the canvas with paint or making maquette making, drawings? Making, small, stu- small I don't call them maquettes necessarily because okay. I get a little nervous with that word, but making drawings down here. And yeah, actually drawing on the canvas too, mm-hmm. but with paint. Now, you're not like right. a pre-drawing or anything, but sort of thinking about the shape and me making that mark rather than having that mark happened. A right. little bit like, like what we shape. talked about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and there, these are primarily acrylic they're all acrylic okay. and flash paint and then whatever collage comes into them each have flash a different paint? thing flash paint's like a vinyl based acrylic okay so instead of a, the plastic it's vinyl okay so it's more matte and a little bit more flexible but Is also it pretty can mar easy it's super fluid and, it's, and super it's intensive color yeah okay i want to check that out it's denise awesome. uses flash quite yeah bit, i think um it's great stuff and these are, are they're mostly on panel or are these the, stretch canvases? The bigger ones are stretch canvases. Okay. And this, if, if it goes, you know, 30, 30 by 40 and below, they're usually on panel. And is the choice between canvas and panel strictly a dimension thing? Or is it... Uh, I'm just curious because panel is such a different surface. I think I like canvas. to work on the panels a little bit better. But as I get bigger, it's just more economical and easier to move around the canvas. Yeah. Um, I am working a little bit more on canvas lately. Mm-hmm. The, the panels I like because they can go up and down on the floor and they're smaller and I can kind of bang them around the studio a little bit more, mm-hmm. which I like to do. Mm-hmm. Or the canvas ones kind of stay on the wall and they they tend to I, – I have a more precious relationship with them and I'm trying to work on that. So right. I don't know. It's interesting to talk about the 
Ryan and I, at Ryan at the gallery and I have been talking a lot about canvas versus the wood panels uh -huh. and what's, what, which way am I going to go or not, or am I going to keep doing that? The physicality is so different. You know, a panel, there's no uh, trampoline effect. It doesn't boin. It's a solid, mm -hmm. rigid thing. It holds the mark differently. There's a, uh, more of a connection to paper as a smooth surface. There's not a weave. It takes collage a, much better, too. It takes too. collage much better. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, you can... You can build up, arguably, a little bit easier. I, mean, I, I agree. Canvas is kind of fussy. Um, whatever. And then you also another, I, I think, reoccurring move of yours is to almost have a multiple paintings within a painting. Um, you have like a small canvas that's uh, glued right onto a bigger panel. Sometimes there's more than one. Um, is that just part of the responsive act of making these? Like, oh, there, th this center area or this corner needs a space. I have this small little painting over here. I'm going to lay it on top. Oh, it sort of works, and then you go with it. Is that sort of how it opens up? A little bit. Yeah. Um, I'll get a I'll get a stack of smaller paintings and kind of paint them simultaneously with while working on the bigger ones. Mm -hmm. But also, I think oftentimes when they find their way into the painting, it's it's kind of back to what you were talking about earlier. As a, I'm always looking for entrance ways because they are a little chaotic and it is hard. To kind of get that entrance, you know, yeah. the beginning moment again, always trying to work on that. And this idea of placing a small painting on top of it and sort of incorporating it into the painting, I, I think, gives the viewer a freedom to see the small, you know, yeah. it's a you can walk right in. You can, you get what that is. Yeah. Oh, I see. This is it a looks kind like of a moment. window or a door. Oh, exactly. A lot of times. I mean, I mean some kind of keyhole maybe yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 effective, I think. And um I think it also connects to this notion of collaging pieces of other things onto your paintings. And there's uh, like, what a great idea to, um, and it's, it's not a new idea, but collaging paintings into paintings. It's just another yeah. uh, mark, like these little, little made paintings. As, it's interesting as to a think, gesture. you think about scale too. And like yeah. that relationship we have as artists to scale. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I have to make a show of all big paintings, but, and I, honestly, I'd rather make these small paintings. Right. So I'm constantly making these piles of small paintings, which are, you know, sometimes a little more fun and exciting. It's kind of yeah. what I do early in the morning here and do that kind of thing. And yeah, you want them to have a little bit of a life. They're gratifying. They don't show they have, as well you when you get, quickly. you know, you get yeah. a show and someone wants the big paintings and that's awesome and exciting. But these little guys are sort of floating around and I like to, you know, attach them on in a way yeah. of like, we're here too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Um, what about your, your you know, I've always considered color as an important feature in your work um, and your collision of these colors that don't seemingly want to hang out with each other. Um, can you can you walk me through how you make your selections? Is it, um, I mean, how do you how do you go about p pulling pulling together the the color conversation in these in these works? I think in in these ones in particular, I, I think it's changing often. Um, it's really exciting to think about the color, and it's it's sort of also one of the more fun parts to sort of go pick out a bunch of new weird kind of unnatural colors. I'm sort yeah. of looking for them to be, especially in these ones which are referencing landscape. I want the colors to totally reference plastic yeah i was gonna you know, say i like, want them to feel like they were not made by uh the out outside <laughs> yeah that, that contrast of non-natural tones with 
the the idea of a landscape in the natural world is a nice contrast. And I think it give it, it gives them. It, it's honest for me. It's sort of like the, the colors relate more to you know when you're talking about. I want punch in colors. I want that thing we talked mm-hmm. about when you saw the steal your face. You know, this moment is just like contrast and edge in edge. Yeah. And you can do that a lot with saturation. You know, a lot of we try to do that. You know, I, I think of like artists that color block or sort of hard edge artists or those California hard edge artist painters from the 70s. I love that work, but it all the colors were also easy i don't mm-hmm. know they uh, that would al- often ruin it for me and i'd say where where's like the color that's your own that i haven't right. seen yet again right. back to that thing i'm trying to find something new yeah yeah you mentioned the word honesty and if i can um take us back in time a little bit to um a presentation you did with a um through um one of the galleries it was a, it was a fair but part of the thing that the fair did was it had these little printouts with a uh, it was unfortunately a black and white picture of of the art with a little almost like an artist statement below it and you're, you're supposed to go around from each to each booth and collect these little um almost like zine pages and build a book along the way do you remember this fair i think it was volta a number of years ago okay and, I, I and the volta, gist yeah. of your um the gist of your little statement below it was about honesty and it really stuck with me and i i wish i had the foresight to dig it up so I could read it to you right now. But it was all about this like notion of being honest in, in, in your mark and in your painting and, um, in your intentions as an artist. Um, and it seems like that, that was maybe like five years ago, six years ago. And it seems like that's still, I mean, you just mentioned keeping things honest. No, I think in the, it's still here. The biggest sense of why anyone would do any of this or why I do it for sure is definitely about that sincerity, honesty, and sort of like this idea. It's, it's interesting. I come from a place like no one I grew up with was really an artist. You know, Uh there were some creative people in my family, but I, I come from, you know, a working class town where, the idea of going off to art school was already a little wasteful maybe. Right. So I think that's always kind of instilled in me. And I sort of think that I want a painting. I mean, maybe hopefully it it is for me and it comes across to others to be honest like that, you know, in a way of, um, it has some roots. It has these origins that are kind of built in. Right. uh, You grew up in Syracuse, right? I grew up in Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it like growing up in Syracuse? You, you didn't have necessarily creative family members around you. Um, I did more musically, but no, yeah. not in the visual arts. Okay. Um, growing up in Syracuse was all right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going back, but <laughs> but it, it it was all right. I I I had a lot of good times. Did you go to the Everson Museum? I used to go to the Everson yeah. Museum, and I, used I to still would. There. Yeah, a lot of. I actually I mean, never been inside, but that's you know. I mean, that's it's way more famous for skateboarding <laughs> yeah. than it is for art. Although yeah. that is also where uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono met. I think is, that right? is the story. I'm some kidding. show there, so it's got some stuff, and it's a it's a cool. It's an IM Pay uh-huh. building, so it was, you yeah, know, that's why you guys skated there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I was just curious about <clears throat> what it was like growing up there because you. You mentioned you have family members that might consider this wasteful or, or sort of unsure of, I mean, what is their response to your work now or what you do? Do you have I think an ongoing the, conversation about, about I mean, my, my family or friends from home, all, family and friends, people I'm close to from growing up, have never not been supportive. Right. You know, they, 
it's it's a little weird and strange and why would you do that kind of thing but i think they kind of like it that i do so Mm -hmm. they they don't you know what i mean they're like i know someone that does yeah and i've been doing it a long time now and i think that over the years it's you know i it works Uh i'm sure i'm still doing it and you know trying to make it it's not perfect or anything like that but so i think they kind of they're they're a little excited by that they're like oh he's still he's still there doing that doing that thing it's a similar experience for me i mean I grew up with supportive parents and community around me. Um, my mother taught high school art, but the work I make now is non-representational. And my family likes my parents like a landscape painting, you know, sort of something more regional from where they're from in New England. And I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between what what I do and who I am as a person now and what their experience is, but they're super supportive. And and I guess it goes back to like, how do we package ourselves and what we do that makes other people that don't quite get it comfortable? Right. Um, Another question I've asked uh, people in these things are like, how do you identify yourself to new people? Um, Do you say that you're an artist? Do you say that you're a painter? Do you have like a little canned? I say uh, artist. Yeah. it's a tough and, question. And then when they get, uh, yeah, but I don't, I kind of, I know it is. And, yeah. and I thought, I, I, you always know this kind of question comes up. I say artist. And then once it gets to the point where I can see in their eyes that they don't really, they're not following it. I, I kind of ask them about themselves. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, cause I'm not going to really be able to fully explain it. I yeah. say abstract artist. You start to break it down. I'm dealing with yeah, collage and material and then you see as far as you can go and then at some point yeah. their face goes like what sometimes it takes it like <laughs> I, you know it's very judgmental of me but you like read a person in the first five seconds and because I have a few identities I'm a parent I'm a painter um, I'm an educator I'll choose one of those things based right. on wh- what I think they need totally. to hear to avoid some shitty conversation. Just because I'm not, I, I don't want to deal with it right now. So oh, I'm a teacher. I totally get do it. that as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny what we do to like get through the day. I um, say teacher. I say teacher or professor at the doctor's office and stuff like when yeah. someone asks me on an official form. Yeah. That's where the teacher think. I don't write art. Art. When I write artists, I feel weird. I feel like they're not gonna. They're gonna think I don't have any money. And yeah. So I, yeah. Write, yeah. I do the other thing, which it's is funny. I remember in my younger days, I would just bullshit people too. I, I'm I'm in the ballet. Like you take a look at me. I'm a giant <laughs> dude. I, there's no place for me in a ballet. But that's back when like fucking with people was more comfortable than being like having a straightforward conversation. Um, like you let all your insecurities come through fucking with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you, was there an early influence um, when you were a kid, a visual influence that you can cite? I'm always curious, like what the origins of, of, of the, the visual history of these, of, of ourselves are. It's interesting. I, not, not too much artwork. You know, I definitely was in the art room in high school all the time mm-hmm. and <clears throat> loved Jackson Pollock and Basquiat and all the things you're supposed to like when you're, when you're that age. But I think that, the biggest influence was, and it wasn't about the work, but was Andy Warhol. Hmm. Because I started learning about him, and I read his biography and his diaries when I was in high school, and I kind of realized, there was the very first point where I realized this isn't only a thing about the thing you make, but it's about a life that you live. And that's what made me really want to do it. Not right. just to make the paintings. I was like, oh, it can be my, my whole life. Right. You know, I don't go to work in the morning and come home at night, and that changes. Mm-hmm. And I saw that kind of built into there. And then I learned it even more when I got to school and my professors were living that life. And eventually, yeah. 
it just became that. Yeah, it's 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 important to remember. I I spoke to another artist about this recently about being an artist isn't isn't just while you're in the studio making it's this sort of holistic lifestyle way of way of approaching the world yeah um especially the longer you do it because yeah. you're kind of it's there you, you know it doesn't yeah. now it's not going away and it, it's, it's i slip in and out of it like you know there's we have all these other responsibilities and um but i think especially right now in the in the sort of volatility of this moment socially politically culturally like being an artist all day every day um and how we look at things and talk to people and share information is actually really important i know um i hope so i yeah. do sometimes i know and then sometimes i don't and i find myself locked in this room making paintings and i'm like i should be doing something bigger and better because everything's sort of terrible but i also feel like this is my chance to sort of put it into this so hopefully it can kind of do that you know this is the thing that i can do and this is the thing that hopefully yeah you can pass that on right, i don't know right i mean it's <laughs> I it's to... it's a slippery one this topic as well but let's remember that there's there's a there's this notion of that like humanity is slipping away right now the the idea of like being a human like a um, respectful human being is sort of eroding at least in the states um and i think being an artist and making art and sharing what we do in some capacity, whether it's through teaching or through exhibitions is a reminder to everyone out there that this, these are, these are examples of what it means to be human. And maybe I'm over romanticizing a little bit, but I, I think, I think it's, it's ultimately very important. Yeah. And the first thing to go is culture Yeah, and the thing that we're, we're, we're sort of doing that, that that's the, the easiest thing for them to get rid of. Yeah. And then the rest, you know, so I think we're on the front lines in a way. I yeah. All artists are right. Or people, any, anyone who wants to do something that's like right. not allowed. Right. <laughs> or at least the, this is my philosophy of today. Yeah. My change tomorrow. Uh, I gotcha. But I know what we do in here, I think is very much about being human and what it means to be human. And that's, you know, a pretty, pretty important thing yeah. right now. Um, and then what brought you to New York? I'm always curious what brought people from, from where they grew up into New York. Was it art? Yep. Yeah. I think so. I, I think I always wanted to come to New York from early on. I had relatives that would come down here and I had cousins from here. So we would visit. Mm -hmm. And I just think from movies and the, I, I knew that that was the kind of place I needed to be. I liked that. Right. I, I like an urban environment. I'm sort mm -hmm. of, I've always fantasized about living in a high rise. I still do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I always kind of thought that that's where I would end up. And it what was kind of floor. Do you want to live on I w the highest one? You want to be way up? Yeah, high. I really do. Yeah, and yeah. I don't even really like for the vista that or much. yeah. I yeah. want to wake up in the morning and I want to look out that window. Oh, no kidding. I really do. I, okay. It's weird. I, I will, it'll never really happen. And maybe if it had the opportunity to happen, I wouldn't do it. But I've always said that's what I wanted. Yeah. To do. do you ever go? I mean just like almost like do tourist stuff in the city and like go up to the no. top of the empire state building like no as should, an exercise though. no 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 it's, i don't know if you should it's it's stressful those crowds I, I did one of those bus tours once and it went through soho and i yeah. had some relatives visiting that was really yeah. that was really fun it was actually kind of cool. right and, so, and how long have you been in new york since 2002 and so i came i keep doing that no, that's okay i came to uh i came here after about two and a half years out of school so i got i graduated in 98 mm -hmm. i went to ireland for a year and i did a residency that mm -hmm. i got right out of school which was really cool came back 
and I, I got another really lucky moment. I had some lucky moments early on where I got a teaching job at the Atlanta College of Art teaching video. I was making a lot of video and painting back then. Oh, I knew this. Yeah. And so those were two great opportunities, but then they both ended. And I was like, oh, now I have to actually pull the trigger and move to New York like I keep saying I'm going to do. So I think I came, <clears throat> I went back to my hometown. And this is probably the only time I've done this since I left when I was 18 for about a year and a half. Uh-huh kind of was deciding what kind of who i was at that point it was like what are you like, right. what is this going to be is this going to work out you have to either do this or not so i went i came to new york i had a friend who let me crash on her couch for about a month uh-huh. moved in with some friends and kind of been here ever right since. Same, and, yeah. and what do you think so i mean i've talked with other artists about this and we, we talked about this amongst ourselves and it's a cliche slash rhetorical conversation but you know new york is very challenging why do we stick it out why are we still here what are we what are we chasing what do we why do we sort of deal with the burden that is living in this very expensive town doing and attempting to earn a living through something that's very difficult to earn good money through Uh, yes we subsidize it through like our teaching or like day jobs or whatever but um why this city versus another city or does even have to be a city I, as much as I hate to say this and like to say it, this is where the action is. Yeah. This is where where it's happening. You know, there's there's a huge concentration of really interesting things going on. Mm-hmm. A bunch of non-interesting things too, and that's sort of part of the battle. But I've gone other places, and I've and it's there's just an energy here that's hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. That said, I'm 42, and I'm like constantly talking about how I want to move and move upstate and do all this stuff. Ultimately, will it happen? I don't know, but I, I'm at that point where that's okay. Where four years ago, I would have said, no way I'm going to, I want to be one of those old dudes walking around midtown Manhattan someday in my eighties, like getting the paper. Yeah. So I don't know. I go back and forth. I'm also like tired of working all the time and trying to put work together. And I'd way rather have many more hours in the studio and maybe that can happen outside of the Mm -hmm. city. Uh, but maybe not. I don't right. know. No, it's I, I, I so, tend, it's weird. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I always say to friends and family that don't live here that ask like, "Why are you there?" Uh, you know, my line is, "It's the best and worst of everything." Yeah, you, you can find the most amazing thing, and then an hour later, see the worst thing, and that sort of um, duality I find interesting. It also makes me feel bipolar a lot of the time. And but yeah. I that think, that charge doesn't go away though, so no. that, that's what's kind of nice about it. You know, it has its ups and downs for all the other reasons, mm-hmm. but you, it's always has energy. Yeah, and that's sort of important for me because yeah. I can easily like get out of that energetic mode and just lock myself in the studio. And in a small town, that might happen, which will be good and bad. You know, right. I don't know. You just go back and forth. Right. Um, one of the things that uh, I ask people I talk to is is who their work is indebted to. And as an example, um, I, I've been thinking about who who this project, this oral history project is indebted to. And, I, and, and I'll cite StoryCorps, which is created by this guy, David Isay. Have you ever heard of StoryCorps? Mm-hmm. It's this recording project where there's different stations. There's one in Grand Central Station and you, and you sign up online and you go 
with someone that you want to talk to and the conversation is recorded and it gets delivered and archived in the Library of Congress. And for whatever reason, these things are so, they open people up and create real connection between the two people. And if you listen to them through, through the website or sometimes they pop up on NPR through different shows, they're just so heartfelt. And so I'll cite that as a, yeah. as a, um, I'm indebted to that project as something that inspired this. I'm indebted to Terry Gross. I'm indebted to Mark Marin, I think. Um, but I'm also indebted to the studio visit yeah. as, you know, some of the most meaningful and important experiences I've had related to artwork have been through going to artist studios and having really direct, meaningful conversations about the stuff. Yeah. Versus, you know, going to an opening. You don't really talk, have, I mean, yeah, you can have good conversations, but it's more of a party. Yeah. Like this one-on-one -on -one thing you, is, <laughs> this one-on-one -on -one thing I think is way, way more interesting and valuable. And as an educator, I was trying to think of a way to like how to, how to share that with people that don't have access to this sort of mm -hmm. thing. So that's another thing that I'm indebted to is the, the studio visit itself. Totally. Um, so if I lay those out as an example of sort of the, the origin or the DNA of this project, I'm curious what the, what's in the DNA of, of your work. It's interesting. I think, you know, so many things and th that could change, you know, it could change and I could, and I could say people that I'm indebted to teachers and people who've shown could me stuff anything. along the way and that's all there yeah. for sure. Yeah. But listening to you just talk, I sort of, now I'm, in, I'm kind of thinking I, it's indebted to what you, similar to what you just said, the studio. Yeah. This time that I personally have in my studio and what that's been over the years and how that's changed and how the studios have all changed, one thing that's consistent is I'm at my best in here by myself figuring out these paintings. Mm -hmm. So I owe a lot of debt to the actual making of the work or I think I'd be kind of like a loose I don't know what I would yeah. be there's sort of definitely a discipline that comes into my life with the idea of being in this room and having that freedom which is super free I mean you know yeah. if I'm not working a day job which I do all the time but if I'm not doing that and I have all this time in the studio to work it's super privileged and it's super amazing and so I so when I think of the word debt I owe some debt to that yeah. because you know not everyone can do that I know I can't always do it but I keep trying and it's 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 important Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this is uh, therapy for the likes of you and I totally. in so many ways. Yeah. Um, we resolve a lot of problems in here with the work and with ourselves. Um, and, yeah, it's an important sacred space, the studio. Um, do Can you d describe an ideal studio day in here? Is that, yeah. is that a real thing? Could that be a real thing? Sure. It yeah. happens for me, like... Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and yeah. then maybe one other day during the week, depending the on what the free camp. exactly, <laughs> depending on what the free freelance work situations like. Yeah, but it, or if I'm teaching that semester or whatever that is. But um, those are the three days you're in studio, like from yeah. full day from okay. nine till five, nine till six, where I feel like there's those are the days that major works can get done on the paintings. There's okay. other times during the week I'm in kind of looking at things, mm -hmm. sitting around, finishing up some things as I go. But those are the main three to four days a week are mm -hmm. the days. And that's gotten better. You know, I can remember when it was one day a week, two mm -hmm. days a week, and having to come in really late at night. And I don't right. work well like that. So for me, trying to figure out a schedule that can give me the nine to five days, and yeah. I like to feel like I'm going to work. I like to get the yeah. paper and the news, the coffee and come in here and have it be early. Right. And so, uh, so yeah. 
Right. That's the ideal day, one of those, and then nothing to do later that night where I can go home and just hang out or draw, like do whatever I want to do mm-hmm. without any other obligations. Right. You mentioned bringing the, the paper and a coffee, uh, maybe pack a lunch. Um, I read or heard somewhere that Picasso said, don't bring a book to studio, bring the newspaper and a bagged lunch. So you're forced to sort of keep things short and brief, not go out and have like a lunch at a restaurant or anything like that. Um, As a, like, as those things could be distractions from the momentum that you're building in the studio. Um, So on that front, like what do you get distracted by in here? My phone, your phone, figuring out, you're not alone, figuring (laughs) out what kind of media I want to have surrounding me. Mm hmm. Am I going to listen to music? Am I going to listen to podcasts? Should I turn on NPR now? What time is it? I Did I get enough news in today? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Like, you ever literally. work in silence? Sometimes. In the morning. Um, less and less less and less lately, but in the mornings, I used to really love to the first couple hours have it just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself accidentally working in silence because the record ended. And, and you- I'm like such in a zone that I, it's two hours have gone by and it's just been quiet that's amazing. It's kind of nice yeah it's nice to sort of empty everything out you yeah. know i can kind of get caught up with listening to stuff you know it's the quiet will really empty things out yeah. and sort of help go at the paintings like that empty I, which is great yeah. without thinking about right someone talking in your ear i had an instructor <clears throat> who was who was very against listening to anything while you're working as as it being um, uh, uh, an outside, unnecessary influence of, of the work, getting in the way of yourself. And sometimes I think about that. But I also think about how important it is to be distracted sometimes yeah. while we're making these things. And also, th- you, you just change, like, he's, uh, that person sounds, it, that's intense, you know? Yeah. There's no, no, he was a very Like, being guy. against anything is kind of crazy because yeah. you know or everything changes. Absolutes. Absolutes are, yeah. I, I, I can barely, They're problematic. Like, I can't make a single decision that's absolute in my life, like, let alone, like, <laughs> this is how it should be. Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, so, you talked about coming in here and, and problem solving with these paintings. Um, what other, uh, and, and those are maybe like formal problems like this, this shape isn't working or these colors aren't working. So you tinker with them. What sorts of other problems pop up in here and how do you resolve them? If, if there are any other problems? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, there's always the conflict of the picture itself and, and coming in and mm-hmm. working on that. Although that's the, that's the fun part. So I, I sort of enjoy that part and the conflicts quickly become the triumphs of the paintings and stuff like that. The biggest conflict conflict is the work part, stretching canvases, getting things in order, getting the right colors, spending a bunch of money the on some new paint. Work. Exactly. Yeah. That kind of, yeah, I don't know, takes its toll no, yeah. where I just and literally. It can three days out of your work week sometimes. Yeah, it really can. Um, if, if you were in a position to hire assistants to do that, would you yeah. bring people in to yes. do all that sort of busy would, work? Yes. You would? I, if, I could, if I could just make the paintings yeah. that's all i would do right i, I mean, go back I and forth on it i'm like yeah i need some help another day's like no i need to see this straight through i need to like but it wouldn't be able like to that be, work is sometimes important to me like well, going through that process i get that yeah it wouldn't i wouldn't be able to have someone in here with me kind of assistant yeah. i've done those jobs and it wouldn't be like that but it would be i'm not going to be there monday go stretch for right canvases for me and then yeah. i come in but yeah it's a long ways away i think yeah i've had <laughs> i've had people come in to help yeah, me but it's more like 
it's more just me wanting to hang out with someone and that's cool. talk to. That's you a know, cool we, part. We operate yeah, in these, I guess. We're alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you thrive on the aloneness. I'm sometimes sort of like, I want someone to talk to. I get it. Yeah. Um, to the point where, like, I'll put a painting down and just make a phone call just to get out of my own head. Um, anyways, um, you mentioned you, you've, you've been an artist assistant before. I know you've done art handling. You've worked for mm-hmm. galleries. You're currently a teacher. Um, and I, 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 I want to talk about your teaching. Sure. Um, and you teach painting classes. What sort of class? I do. do you I'm teach not, undergraduate at I'm not Alfred teaching University? this year. Uh, I taught. I was a visiting professor for two years at Alfred. Okay. It ended in May of this last this last spring. So I'm not teaching this year. Kind of looking for teaching jobs in, in in the middle of that process that you know about. But yeah, I taught uh, full time there for two years and everything from intro to painting to advanced painting to working uh-huh. with seniors and grads and freshmen. The whole whole right. works. I really. That was my first teaching job where I was really in put into the academia of it all. Right. Learning about committees and learning about all the other stuff that goes along with it. It wasn't just a one semester, one class kind of thing. Not not just adjunct teaching. If right. You, if you're on like committees and stuff, you're, I wasn't like, on, you're like participating in the department. I wasn't itself. on tons of committees, but definitely participating right. in that way and learning all about that yeah. part, that side of it, which yeah, is a like big, the admin you know, work of yeah. being a teacher. And now that I'm looking for jobs and trying to interview for jobs, it's good. That I, I kind of know a lot more about that right. side of it, which right. is as you know, in academia, really important to a lot of those people. Is Is there an important message or idea that you hope your students would take away from your instruction? Yeah. Um, I think my, I think when I get hired places, my, my attract, the attraction they have towards me is my unconventional kind of route to all of this. I didn't go to graduate school. I didn't really follow the the kind of academic chart, I came to New York and, and sort of jumped right into it. And mm-hmm. now later in my life, I'm sort of thinking I'm going backwards a little bit again. <laughs> but that that's okay, I think. Yeah. So what I like to bring to the students is that idea, is how to be DIY mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the real sense of the word and how to make your life that way. Because even more than our generation, they're going to need it. You know, they're going to need to know how to, like, let the Chinese restaurant let you have a show in there. And how right. do you do that? How do you figure that out? Is that legit? What's the history of that? Like, right. what were we doing when we first got here and we were doing apartment shows and kind of pop-up galleries and trying to do all that stuff is is exactly where this is right. all going. So that's and what I want to bring to the students. There is, and it comes and yeah. goes. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I think, but more than ever, students need to, like, see that. Right. So it's not only just about, you know, I love to teach the figure drawing class, and it's fun, and you kind of talk about that, but I for me the best part is sort of like kind of talking to them about their life after school and how do you navigate this and right no matter what city you choose to live in or where you choose to be you can be an artist anywhere you just have to just like in the work you have to be super creative and, and committed figure it out and commit well commitment's the main thing without yeah. that you don't even begin yeah I, I i um i can identify with all that like i i preach um a crooked path as the more common path and a linear path through what we do. I mean, there's so many, um, like lateral moves and forward, two steps forward, one foot backward, you know, through figuring things out. And I think that's part of it. And growth happens through that and, and understanding happens through that. And, um, yeah, I think like allowing yourself to breathe in that way as a person and therefore your art will hopefully breathe and develop, I think is good. So finding different avenues for what we do and 
building your own doors and building your own avenues and building your own streets, totally. so to speak, and is, it's, is really important. It's important for you know people coming up now, and it was important for us. I mean, it, yeah. it, it was the only it's way I have a career yeah. is because I, I figured out how to like make it happen yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> another thing I know you're involved with is uh, an artist-run space called Essex Flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you wear a few different hats. You're a painter. You're an educator. You're... Um, one of the founders of a of a gallery space how did the gallery all come together like you, you, we just talked about diy stuff mm-hmm. and, and like building your own avenues um and i i assume that essex flowers is part of that journey for you totally it's just how did it come it just to be? it's actually just like a space it's actually what we had been doing i think a whole group of us a bunch of artists who are part of a community um, that I think I'm part of, you're part of, at, you know, a lot of people. We're doing in the late 2000s to get ourselves shows, to get our our work out there. So mm-hmm. we were, ha- you know, uh, Joshua Smith and Denise Cooper Schmidt put together an apartment show, which was a great thing. John Lutz had his daily operation program. Like, these were shows that were popping up anywhere they could. And slowly they became, they went from being like these parties where everyone was coming to look at their friend's work to, you know, these critics were showing up and people were writing about them and it started to feel kind of legit right so a group of us from that group and it's been a group that's changed over the last few years here and that people kind of come in and out of the group Mm -hmm. um got our hands on a space the basement of a flower shop in the lower east side and actually put some brick and and mortar to it it was on grand on the corner of essex and grand but the flower shop was called essex flowers okay so we just took their name you just kept the name yeah so it was a really amazing thing that was happening in the basement of a flower shop it was cool you had to kind of walk through the flower shop to get down there and see it now we're kind of in a legit gallery space that's it's a little bit lower down in chinatown and it's nice and much more gallery like we have insurance and it's official kind of thing oh, yeah so that has its ups if and you downs. have insurance it's official. we have a f- insurance and like <laughs> real priorities but uh so it's it's kind of evolving into more of a, a a thing that's that's operating on on its own existence. Essex Flowers can be its own thing and not just from this idea of artist-run spaces, where we mm-hmm. came from, you know, like now I think it's sort of getting more of that identity. But, right. But it's loose, and it's, I like that structure of it. Right. And we can come in, and like when I go upstate and teach for a while, I'm away from it, and that's okay. That mm-hmm. there's, there's about nine or ten members usually, so mm-hmm. people have different priorities. It's nice to run a business in that way, you know, it's not, yeah. oh, there's not a ton of pressure. There's yeah. a little, but... That just made me think you mentioned stepping away um, from projects or things. Um, you stepped out of the city to go teach for, you actually like moved. One, one of the years. One I of moved the years. You were, you both semesters. There. Yeah. I and then the second year out. you were sort of commuting back yep. and forth, right? Um, and the, uh, I'm interested in this idea of time away. Um, be it from work, you know, being part of the gallery that you that you um, are part of, the Essex Flowers, and stepping away and coming back in, um, or even the time away from studio, right? You're like you're here, your hot days are Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Then you've got teaching or other day jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's time away from the studio, um, and I and I read somewhere like big and small changes happen to us as people we change as people in those small times we're away from things so like if you leave studio on a monday night and you're away for four days you we could argue that you're a different person when you come back um do you think that time away from 
studio is important or time away from looking at your own stuff or time away from a project like are little little um sabbaticals of some sort important do you think sure yeah, yeah i understand yes i mean that was uh no i yes, i don't know what i was trying to say they are I, I think i'm the type of person that takes uh a lot more mini sabbaticals in my own yeah. like where i just like chill out in the evening or like i kind of do do smaller things but i i do have like an addiction of being in here a lot so yeah. when i go away for two weeks to a thing i like it a lot but i definitely get that and i don't know what that is sometimes it's a little guilt it's a little that yeah. art school brain of i need to be working yeah but when you started saying that I, one thing that stuck out to me is when you do come back from something like that there is a there's a, there's a change and that's kind of nice. Yeah. And that year I took and I went up to Alfred that first year I was teaching everything changed in my work and right. in me and my life. I mean it was a it was a big thing in my life right. but um maybe that's what I was trying to say that change that takes place like if you know if I can free up my schedule where I have like three or four d consecutive days in studio which is rare in my life um by the end of it I feel like I can't see what I'm working on cuz I've been spending so much time with them. So then I leave for a couple of days or a day even. Mm -hmm. I come back. I feel like I can. Uh, I have a much more clear sense of what's going on, and I can identify what's working, and what's not working. So I guess maybe that's what I was trying to lead yeah. lead, lead to in this. Yeah, part I of understand. The conversation that. is like I getting away from the stuff is important sometimes. I do that with yeah. individual works for sure. Yeah. I'll hide paintings oh, yeah, on myself stuff, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like I like I said, I have a little storage unit down the hall and. Mm -hmm. A thing I do when I get stuck is just put it away. Right. And don't look at it for a while and then bring it back out. Right. Um, which is a basic thing to do, but it, it really is is a powerful thing. You can see new stuff in the work if yeah. you get it out of your eyesight. Um, uh, another thing that I that reoccurs in these recordings is is I ask people if they feel differently about their work in the studio versus when it's out in the world, um, like in a in a show. Is there, do you feel differently about your work in those, in, depending on the context? Yes. Yeah? Definitely. It's a whole. Which what, do you prefer? Do you, do you like it in studio better or in the gallery better? Or is, I, I mean. Well, I, I mean, I, li <laughs> I, I like their existence in the studio better because that's where my relationship is with them. Yeah. And that's where I got to like make the decisions that I got to make. And when they go out in the world or they're in a gallery at, at there's a, there's something you don't like about that because it's kind of like being naked and it's a little nerve wracking and you're right there. Completely vulnerable. But the work looks great. Yeah. When, you know, when I can put, I have a small studio, as you see, when I yeah. can, when I walk into a gallery and someone's hung my paintings with seven or eight feet in between them, I know that's how they're supposed to be seen by yeah. others. Maybe not necessarily, you know, yeah. in here I kind of get into a mode and, you know, I picked this place up a little bit for you today, but <laughs> it's usually pretty hectic. Yeah. So to go in the gallery and see it like that, it's, you know, it's almost like a cathedral for this thing that was important to you. And uh, I don't know. I love it. That's it's well said. I mean, I, I love it. Yeah. And, and a one-to-one -one correspondence between the painting or the artwork and you in a gallery space where we're like a nice pristine white wall. It's great. Uh, I would agree. And I would, I remember the uh, years ago I came to your studio when you're still working at home and it, and I think that was the first thing I said is like, I can't, it's hard for me to see anything because it was. There wasn't space between work. It was, um, um, you know, furniture everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, like, having that noise away from the paintings, I think, is huge. Totally. And I didn't know that back then, really. Yeah. I mean, I knew it because people kept telling it to me. Right. And I knew I had to figure out what that meant. Right. 
But until I started having shows or significant shows where they did that with the work and they showed it in that light, it became, you know, it became more important yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. One, I, you know, I bring it up also the, this topic of the studio versus the galleries, like in the, in a, in a, in a, in an ideal mind state, money and commerce don't enter our brains while we're working on these. That's probably a tall, tall ask. Like different voices will come in depending on what's going on. Like, oh, I, I need to make something that is going to look good in this space. And, or maybe you have a collector in mind that you think you can like nudge it in a certain direction and then they'll gravitate towards it. But like this idea that commerce is directly involved when it's in a, in a commercial gallery, at least, um, I, I sometimes start to like, like some weird pressure comes in and makes me start feeling things that I didn't feel when I was in the studio. And I don't know, I, I'm always curious if other people feel that way as well. Yeah. Do you feel a bit of guilt thinking about it even, or sort of having it, because no. you're gonna think about it. It's a thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely what we're doing, and it's a thing. It's 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 like a. I don't know if it's guilt. It's like a. I don't know. It's self-inflicted for sure. Yeah. Um. And I ultimately just need to let go and be okay with things. But, you know, we have expectations for these once they leave the studio, and and I have mouths to feed and bills to pay, and you want. You want you want these things to operate well enough that so that someone wants it in their lives mm -hmm. and they, and they want to trade in good money for that. And that that's how I should be looking at it all the time. Um, but then you, we creep into this space and, and um, I know a number of artists that feel this way that like if it, if it doesn't move off the wall in a gallery that there's something wrong with it. And that's maybe the, the wormhole I sometimes need to double check myself. On. Yeah. Me you know too. I mean, no, for yeah. sure. I mean, I obviously I, I want. Or I fail. Like, oh, it's like I'm not. Like, how do we measure success? The broader, broader public measures success on how much money you have in the bank account, mm -hmm. and that's no measure for what we do. I don't think it's or amazing. Like the, the success of a painting. It's amazing to see. You know, people will the kind of come to a show of yours, or they'll they'll contact you on the internet. I get a lot of students and stuff like that. Yeah. It's amazing and it's awesome, and they. They like the work and we have great conversations, but the fact that they don't know that it's such a struggle to kind of keep making the work that they might be interested in and I might be interested in, you know, if it was up to me, this, you would have walked into this room and it would have had, I would have had 70 paintings around and like constantly working on them all and this place would look how I feel like working on them. Yeah. And it does when you're not here, but I do have to think about what they can do afterwards. Right. And it's come, you know, in recent years, I've had the luxury of having, you know, some dealers in my life try to help me learn that. Yeah. And, and, you know, we share a dealer and, and be, because he's someone we know, or they are both someone that we know and they're friends. It's a, it's a gentle reminder sometimes yeah. to think about that kind yeah. of stuff a little bit. And I do think I don't, in the beginning I was like, no way, you know, I'm totally, it's so not punk rock to, for me to think about right. that and I can't do that and I'll make shitty work if I think about that that's not necessarily the case right. like I'll make shitty work if I like can't pay my bills and right. I'm stressed out right so it's a it's a little bit of balancing that right. but also still trying to make the paintings you want to make and 
Yeah, it's all about you know, finding balance. It right? happens, you know. And in a perfect world, we make what we want to make, and it operates in the marketplace as well. Yeah. And you know, this and it's up and down. Man. This isn't it's sexy like, stuff to talk about. A lot of artists don't like talking about this sure. stuff, but I think it's important. It's important, yeah. and I think it's interesting for us all to like kind of figure out what it is because it constantly changes. Yeah, you know, I yeah. could have a show where a bunch of work sells, and that's exciting, and I'm, and I could have a show where I think it's the best work I've ever made, and nothing sells. You right. know, you. And there, therein this lies is the, the gamble. Like we shouldn't measure ourselves against those shows or those pieces that we really love and think are successful on some grounds just because they didn't move. Yeah. Does, we, should not take that away. And we can look to history for that. Maybe so many artists, their greatest works were right. works that were not popular at the time. Right. And you've just got to kind of and maybe to still circle, make yeah, them. To circle back to, the, to, to my initial question, the difference between how the work feels in the studio versus in a... Uh, commercial gallery setting um it's just that like don't take away the 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 value my what i describe as value for these things what, based on whether or not it my money comes with it or doesn't right yeah anyways let's change the topic <laughs> um um actually let's fuck that let's keep it going like what what would you change about the art world? Do you have any frustrations? I mean, I guess it's sort of connected to all of this in a way, directly and indirectly. But if you had a wand, what would you change about about the contemporary art world? Since that is the world in which you're operating in. I, if I could change it all. Maybe yeah, okay it's interesting. It. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think about it really quick. And like something I'd like to happen is that it be a little smaller. And I know that that sort of sounds... You know, you want this idea that everyone is an artist and everyone's trying to be creative, and that is that's a great idea of a world. But like we were talking about earlier, we're in New York, and there's this concentration of stuff, mm -hmm. and I think that that clouds a lot of people's opinions of things. Mm -hmm. they, it's it's too hard. It's just like what we were talking about coming like into a hectic studio, coming into a hectic yeah. art world. Like in, it, you can't even scratch the surface on all the art that's out there and people are seeing and. So what's happening with it in a marketplace or in a in a critic size is much it's 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 complicated. Right. And, and so for that part, I, I would like to see it be a little bit smaller, smaller. Oh, no, that's and that's OK. One. You know, art worlds can be pocketed, too. And I think that that's and they certainly like, are. Yeah. And I think There's that that's many, OK. That's it's how a plural thing art worlds. And that's how we as artists will be able to keep existing. It can't become one universal thing or right. I think we'll lose that battle. I think too many collectors and too many critics and too many curators think with their ears and not with their eyes and mm -hmm. that's something we're always battling yeah. artists do it too i do it too you yeah. know we're, we're all guilty of it but it's something you have to kind of worry about when you're on the right receiving end of wanting to get your work out there right or right whatever you call it is there any advice you give your younger self being like if you could go you know uh the time machine yeah i would have i start maybe yeah when i first kind of started making workers very seriously here in New York. I, I wish I would have not been so caught up in getting it out there early on. I think I was, I, I was just, I thought I was sort of ready for something that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, Amy Silman once told me, she was like, you know, why don't, why don't you spend the, these years learning how to paint instead of learning how to like get it into a gallery? Mm -hmm. and that was a big moment for me. I said, shit, I got it. That's like she's a, that's totally a powerful right. sentence right there. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm kind of a shitty painter. Like I'm not really kind of committing. I'm not, I'm not giving it that time. So I would have done that a little, I did that at some point and it definitely helped, but I would have done that a little earlier and not, yeah. I came to New York and wanted to have 
parties and shows and have people like pay attention to me. And yeah. I don't, it's, you know, now that that's kind of happening a little bit, it's not even that great. It's right. like sort but of, those are basic human instincts sure. right? and wants, uh, you know, to be loved and to love back and to be respected. I mean, those are okay to want. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's not okay, but right. I think if I go back, I would slow that down. I was a little too yeah. excited for yeah. that. And I had some shitty work out there. I feel like, oh, especially in the, <clears> the, the, the pace of, contemporary life now i mean things are supposed to happen very quickly and this stuff does not follow that timeline um i think it's important to acknowledge that um if you could have a studio visit with anyone alive or dead does anyone come to mind doesn't necessarily have to be an artist it's weird i was because i know you asked this question yeah. and i was talking to someone about last night and i was like what would that? there's so many and it would yeah. be so fun to have so many people and do you want it to be a fun thing i think what i would want is it today because to tomorrow it'll be someone else probably. Yeah, yeah i think what i decided last night is i think it would be i'd want it to be some crazy crazy thing that would never ever happen but probably be the most interesting thing so i thought of michael jackson oh yeah who i always have thought of and when you asked me you know i think prince and michael jackson and things that when I was a real young kid and seeing what they were doing, that kind of thing, pop music and big uh, kind of back to that auditorium rock and things yeah. like that. I don't know. There's something about that and a type of person that can engage in that, that I think I would like to spend some time with and have them look at these weird paintings of shapes. Yeah. And those that guys, would be a great studio. Visit. Both Michael Jackson <laughs> and weird. Prince hit us in our lives at a like very open point. I mean, do you remember how old you were when you first heard? Yeah. Or like Michael Jackson got really big? So into it. Like 83, I, yeah. 84 or something the like that? third and fourth grade, I, I had the red jacket. I was so into it. And both of those people, when they died, years after I even thought much about them all, you know, other than I definitely think they're great musicians and all that, but I wasn't uh -huh. into them. I had such a visceral reaction to their death. Yeah. Like I couldn't, so it brought me, I was like, oh, that's because when I was a little kid, it was so important to me. Right. Like what they were doing was like mesmerizing me, exciting. You know what I mean? I didn't know it then, but yeah. I knew it now as a. And it was a global thing. It was like the shared global feeling. Totally. Yeah. Um, and it was big. big I like yeah. things that were big and smart at the same right. time. Right. I didn't, you know, I didn't have an emotional response when. Michael Jackson passed away and I think that's maybe because I I got caught up with all the controversy of whether you know the pedophilia stuff um, and that sort of clouded my experience mm -hmm. of him um, and not that Prince is innocent at all he's was a famous womanizer um, but I was sad when Prince passed away for sure, sure. I've been listening to Prince a little bit um, in particular that song from Purple Rain the beautiful ones yeah it's a uh, great song. I, that one's been it's on my on a playlist I have that I listen to when I like walk from A to B. Totally. Um, yeah, that's a good song. I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about the controversy or sort of that kind of thing, mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. That's part of what I mean. I, I think that whatever that is, how true it is or not, is part of this idea of what that person would be in your yeah. studio. Like, I don't necessarily know. I don't. Someone said that artists don't need to be good people, and I kind of believe that. There's hmm. plenty of artists that, you know, I mean, it's not something that, that is owed to us as art viewers or art appreciators or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we have our own convictions, and, and we, can, we can stand by those, but right. at the same time, you know, we, I'm kind of interested in where that stuff comes. I'd be interested to sort of, like, talk to Michael Jackson and right. sort of make up my own mind on that kind right. of stuff. When you say artists don't need to be good people does that suggest that 
the thing that they make should have priority over the person that made it? Not priority, but I think it has its own responsibility. Yeah. I think once they put it out there, I think it can be something that's beyond the person that made it. I think, right. you know, especially as artists, we love that part of it. The person right. who made it becomes a big part of it, but it doesn't have to be. No, I, th right. I think there's things out there that exist in the world that are visual and architecture and design and art and things that we see all the time that we not necessarily we yeah. don't necessarily know where it came from and it's still powerful and i think yeah. that's totally okay yeah yeah it's, an, it's a curious question yeah it is because we get caught you know like you might like a uh an artist's work and then hear that they're a total dick and that, you know sometimes that changes yeah. the experience no of the it doesn't artwork, help sure. but you can yeah. but but when you sit back and you kind of you know and there's plenty of people like that where yeah you know, especially our heroes, especially when we look back on it. Oh, God, yeah. You know, Picasso's not a good person. No, you know, he, these people not. were not, like, known to be great people. No, no. I guess, it, yeah, <clears throat> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good one to weave in and out of, like, if that's important. Sure. Um, what are you psyched about right now? What, what's, what's interesting? You related to art, unrelated to art? What are you excited about? Um, I mean, I don't, I'm excited about being in the studio and sort of making these new works mm -hmm. that are kind of strange and landscapey and, and, and new and different for me. Um, I've been really, I've, like I said earlier, I've been applying for teaching jobs, which is like a big process. And the, you know, as you know, like a huge kind of commitment. So whether I'm excited about it or not, I've been pretty committed to that lately. Right. And, and you're trying to get like that. a faculty position. I am. Like a yeah, I am. Maybe not only that, but right. yes, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get out there to sort of get that stuff mm -hmm. kind of working. And so that's been a big part of everything. Right. Um, there's a little side Lately. tangent here about trying to get like a formal teaching gig. Um, you don't have an MFA. No, I Is don't. Is that an obstacle in this application process yes, for definitely. you? Yeah. Um, it's different at different schools and, but you know, I, it's, it's my biggest obstacle in yeah. getting these jobs for sure. I've, I've, I've made some headway and I've, right. I've kind of proven that I can do it and I've taught full time and that kind of thing. So it's, yeah. it's helped a little bit and people are more friendly about it, but right. yeah, it's an issue for sure. It's an obstacle State in, my, schools in my life especially. too. I, I, you know, I think I, know. About, I just adjunct around and well, you were We've an inspiration to me early on because yeah. you were one of the first non MFA teachers I kind of knew, you yeah. know, was, you know, there's plenty of them out there. You kind of start to learn that, uh, I heard something kind of scary from a friend that's sort of my model for, mm -hmm. for the guy who, figured out how to get a teaching job and keep a studio practice and seems to be living a pretty great life. He was telling me that a lot of schools are nudging out their faculty that don't have MFAs because of the ranking system within the ranking system of colleges where you get on these national ranking. Like it, there's a correlation with like with the faculty, the faculty education, that have, sure. that have uh, graduate degrees and so on PhDs. Um, and that can affect your ranking. So they're they're stocking their faculty with totally. people that it's, have those degrees. I've it's never sort of heard this, that, but uh, yeah, that makes sense. It, I was like, that's fuck, awful. man. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing. Um, shit. Uh, what about future projects that you wish you could realize or art dreams? Is there anything on that list? Um, I don't know. I things you'd want to make, I want, you'd want to show? I, wanted, I definitely want to get a new york gallery show yeah. you know not necessarily a a representation idea but i'd like to have a, a big new york show it's been a while for me right here in the city mm -hmm. to do that so that's been a big thing but i've also been thinking a lot about um denise and i denise cooperschmidt and i with glenn balderich and louise we were talking about doing this book project 
which is another thing um, I've kind of been thinking about. Like an art book? Yeah, we're gonna. It's gonna be like a. a it's gonna be a print, a book of prints of different artists, it, just as another project. So sure. I'm trying to think of because projects are exciting and they sort of keep you. They keep me outside of that thing of where I'll isolate in the studio and just make these paintings. And then oh, yeah. like, I poke my head up and you're like, wow, have you heard of this? Art? This is what's going on now. And you're like, shit, I Completely missed it all. Agree. Completely so doing agree. those projects kind of uh, are a cool way to sort of stay in that. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think about it all the time. I wanted to apply for this uh, public work thing with the MTA. I'd love to see these things up on walls and, and taking different form, being mm -hmm. made out of something other than paint. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be interesting and that includes clothing. Like I've been thinking about that a lot lately oh. and fashion and like so how I can collaborate with can others and make this work, yeah. you know, live a different life. That's what, like I said earlier, I'm all about the biggest, best part of it is what kind of life these pictures I make live when they leave the studio, mm -hmm. you know, again, in here it's for me, but out there it's for, it's for something else. And it'd be cool to see how that, that could be interpreted it could yeah. be anyway it doesn't have to be in a gallery anymore i i think for sure <laughs> i wouldn't have said that two years you know i'm being, i'm like but i i want it to be something that works on a different level and i think we're in a good time to do that we don't the rules are going away mm -hmm. which are kind of scary for artists because we all thought this is how we're supposed to do it we've been trying to do it this way for so long mm -hmm. and it's a little it freaks you out a little bit to see that it's changing but it's also opens the doors yeah it's exciting you know artists can be anything right now and yeah. And it'll work if you're good. Right. <clears throat> well, Pat, these, this, is, this has been great. I really appreciate you letting me into the studio and, and, and being so forthright and sharing and um, hearing this insight. I mean, I've talked about your work before, but hearing this insight into it makes me appreciate it even more. And, totally. Uh, it's great stuff. Man. Yeah, it was fun. I, yeah. I, ho I hope it went well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Want to listen to some Grateful Dead now? Yeah, let's right, do let's it. Let's do it, Thanks. Bye. And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.